0: Welcome to Bel Presbyterian. I know that on Mother's Day it's a great opportunity for us to not only celebrate moms, but also all the women in our life. And there's a truth that I found uh, in Scripture that, that God elevates people that uh, is far beyond than they or even society can elevate themselves. In fact, we see there's this great moment in First uh, Timothy where Paul is writing to Timothy and he says that this gift of faith that he received from his grandmother from His mother, to fan into flame. There's so many women in this church, whether they are physical mothers or spiritual mothers, have really created the foundation for who we are as a church, and we want to celebrate those women today. There's also many women who are here today, perhaps as guests who are visitors, that we want to celebrate. Some of them, are, it's their first Mother's Day, and with great joy and anticipation, they're excited for today, excited to celebrate that. In addition to that, however, there's also people who this day... They've chosen not to be here. Perhaps they're joining us online because physically being here at this church on Mother's Day is too hard for them for a variety of reasons. Perhaps it's because they never had the mom that they so wished that they could have had. Perhaps this is their first Mother's Day without their mother. Perhaps they've lost a child or perhaps they want to be a mom and for whatever reason cannot be a mom. Scripture offers something that no card, no song, no holiday, no set of flowers could ever could. And God meets us in the midst of the spectrum of our emotion. I love even in Scripture it commands us as a, as a church, as a family, as a body to rejoice with those that rejoice and also to weep with those that weep. And so in a moment, I'm actually going to have all of us stand in a moment if you're able, and I want us to, to, to applaud and to give thanks to God for the women in our life And maybe it's a mom or a grandmother or an aunt or it's a a mentor or a friend. And I pray, and I've been praying all morning, that God's Spirit would use that time to meet you exactly where you need. And maybe you come in today with grief, and I pray that that moment will encourage you. Maybe you come to this moment with great joy, and I pray that this moment would encourage you. We believe that God's Spirit can meet every single one of us far better than I can or that we can. And so, if you are able, would you stand with me and would you give thanks to the women in your life and who are part of this church as we celebrate those? online. I hope that you hear and I hope you feel our appreciation and our love. Why don't we grab a seat and as we continue on, use today as an opportunity to turn to God who will give you ultimate peace and joy and satisfaction and comfort and courage. Perhaps some of you need to make a phone call that you've been putting off. Maybe some of you need to take a step of reconciliation. Maybe some of you need to ask for help. Don't let this day go by without turning to the One who can offer you help and encouragement and love. We have tremendous resources for you. We'd be honored to pray with you after the service and encourage you in your journey as well. But today, we are in the middle of a series as we've gathered these last few Sundays in which we're taking a look at tough questions that I didn't come up with that you came up with. In fact, a few months ago, I gave you the opportunity to ask any question, if you could, to God, and you wrote down many questions deep questions, profound questions, and today we want to take a look at a question that was the second most frequent question that you asked. Almost a thousand questions came in. This is the second most frequent. It's simply this, God, why did you allow this to happen to me? It's a question we've all asked. Some of us might even come in today asking that question. we want to find hope in Scripture. If you have your Bibles, why don't you open those up? In fact, they're in the pew in front of you. If you're on the front row, there's a little cubby behind your leg. It's that red book. And if you have a mobile device, you can go to John. And it's in a pew Bible on page 873. But we're turning to John 11. This is verses 14 through 35. And we're going to sit with this tough question. God, why did you allow this to happen to me? And as you hear this story, one of the most famous in Scripture, would you allow yourself to ask that question again? God, why did you allow this? Why did you allow that to happen to me? This is John 11, beginning in verse 14. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. For your sake I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Thomas, who was called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go, that we may die with him. When Jesus arrived, He found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, some two miles away. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day, but Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. When she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary and told her privately, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet come to the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. The Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary get up quickly and go out. They followed her because they thought that she was going to the tomb to weep there. When Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came also with her weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus began to weep. This, my friends, is God's Word. Talk about a m- a real-life, historical, actual moment where two sisters have lost a brother. I imagine they were asking that question, God, why did you allow this to happen to me? And Jesus shows up. Lazarus has been in the tomb for four days. It was Jewish custom and belief in the first century that after three days you would give up all hope, that it was beyond hope, that there was no chance, no way that this person was to be revived. This was way after that, and all of a sudden Jesus shows up on the scene. You see these two sisters, they ask Jesus the exact same question. They, may, they have the same statement that they give to Jesus, but Jesus responds in two completely different ways. And I love the fact that God never responds with a pat, easy answer. He never has a formulaic response to our questions. And so we have this question, God, why have you allowed this to happen to me before us today? And Jesus will never come and give you the quick, easy answer. He'll never say, let go and let me. He didn't say, I'm going to use this in your life just just so, you know, you can see my glory. He never gives the same pat answer. He always gives us His presence. And Martha is very outward in her question, very outward in her despair. She comes running to Jesus very publicly. And says, Jesus, if you were only here, my brother would not have died. And that's great encouragement for all of us in our questioning, in our grief, in our despair, in our doubts, that even if we go public with those things, even if we share out loud, why, God, are you allowing this to happen? Even if it's out loud to friends or in a small group or even online, God gives us permission to question him. God can handle it. You see, Jesus doesn't come to Martha and shut her up or shut her down. He responds, and He responds with truth. He doesn't just say, you know, I know about resurrection. He doesn't just say, I know about life. He doesn't say, I have resurrection power or I have the life. He says, I am the resurrection. I am the life. Martha, do you believe this? And He responds to Martha with absolute truth. That is exactly what she needed. But Mary needed something completely different, quite different than Martha. She wasn't outward in her grief, outward in her despondence. She was very private. It says here that she was at home. And there are seasons in our life where we ask that question, yet never out loud. We don't ask our family what they think. We don't ask our friends. We don't ask leaders in the church. We are private in our grief, private in our pain. Perhaps it's days like today that we do not want to be at church. We're, we'll listen online, or we'll catch it afterwards, but we, it's too much for someone to see the grief for the questions that's going on. And how does Jesus respond? You see, He gives Martha truth, but He gives Mary something very different. He gives Mary tears. He weeps. One who is the resurrection, who is the life, who knows full well what he is about to do, weeps. And we see in that moment the fullness of God, yet the fullness of a human And I need you to know, and I need to know as well, that we have a God who doesn't just give us truth, He doesn't just give us tears, He gives us both truth and tears at the exact level that we need. What's so fascinating is what happens after that in verse 38. If you have those Bibles open, you can see this in verse 38, or if you want to listen, it says, then Jesus again greatly disturbed. Now in the English it's it's so soft, it's so tame, but literally in the Greek it literally meant that Jesus was bellowing with anger. Some of you have heard me talk about this. Now He's not bellowing with anger at Martha or Mary or anybody there, He is bellowing at death. He is roaring at the thing that is so against what He desires and designs for us. You see throughout all of Scripture we see that we have a good God who is a loving God that does not create evil does not create pain, does not create suffering. We see in the beginning in the book of Genesis that God created all things and looked at it and says, this is very good. Everything was perfect. We were right in our relationship with ourselves, with each other, with the earth and with God and all things were good, but evil entered into the story. We have an enemy. And yes, the enemy is a lion, but it's a lion on a leash. And we experience brokenness in this world. There's a reason why we look at the news and we look at things and we say, that is not right because we're in this in-between time of which Jesus is in the process of restoring and inviting us to be part of that restoration and reconciliation of all things. The reason why we say things are evil or wrong or bad or people haven't lived up to our expectations or we don't live up to our own expectations is because we have hardwired in us Eternity, the writer of Ecclesiastes says. We have eternity written on our hearts. And so Jesus is bellowing at death. And the very thing that you are asking God, perhaps in the past or now, or perhaps something will happen tonight and you'll ask God, why have you allowed this to happen to me? Jesus will meet you with His truth and also His tears. And that thing, if it's against His design and desire, He will bellow at it with anger. You see, when He went to that tomb and when He yelled, Lazarus, come forth, He knew what was going to happen next because what happened next in the gospel, according to John, is that at that moment, the plot began to thicken, and the plot began to be brought forth that Jesus was to be killed. You see, Jesus knew that for Lazarus to come out of the tomb meant that He had to go in the tomb Himself. For Him to be resurrected from the grave, He would have to die on our behalf. For Him to be life for us, He would have to go to the grave. You see, we have a God, the writer of Hebrews says, that has been tempted and suffered in every way that we have. So we have one that can sympathize with us. We have a God that enters into our grief with His truth and with His tears. But what does that look like in life? I mean, mean, that's one thing for me to say. It's one thing to give a message. But what does that actually look like Played out in our everyday life. Well, God's been writing a story, not only through all of us, but one that I want to focus on right now. Take a look at a story that God is writing through one of the families here of this church.
1: I had what's called an arterial venous malformation which is a condition in your brain that you're born with. It's congenital. And it grew and grew and one day it ruptured. And when I was 26 years old, I had a massive brainstem stroke and nearly died. God saved my life. And in so doing, a lot was taken away. Life was wonderful before the stroke. I just had a baby, James, six months before, and we were living on the beach in Malibu. Jay was in law school, and life was fun and easy, and we loved our church. We're deeply plugged into our community there, and we're just really living out our wildest dreams.
2: I was concerned because Catherine had felt a little strange that morning. And I went to the other room as my son was taking a nap and I was working on a paper and I heard Catherine cry out. I ran to her side and she was collapsed onto the ground and non-responsive, so I called 911. And the paramedics quickly came and realized she needed to be taken to a hospital immediately. And she was wheeled out on a stretcher from that place we had called our first home and she would never return again. AVM, it's called, and it's a very rare condition that Catherine didn't even know she had until that moment when it finally ruptured. And the pressure building in her brain was so great that um, there was almost no chance for her to survive. And in that moment, having this idyllic, perfect life with so much hope and expectation for our future turned upside down.
1: Losing my motherhood was perhaps the saddest and hardest thing above all other issues I faced throughout my ordeal. Before the stroke, I was able to have six months and five days of just pure joy with James. I was just a happy mother enjoying new life with the baby. Once the stroke happened, I was not able to really engage my son, I was not able to be much of a mother at all. Now, today, while the picture looks different, I'm there, I'm with him, and I'm able to take care of him again, and it is the greatest joy in all of this is knowing that I can be his mommy again. We have been very blessed to suffer greatly at a young age because it informs the way we live the rest of our life.
2: The future is definitely uncertain, but whose isn't? We're living out a picture of what, if we're all honest, each of our lives looks like. We don't know what tomorrow will hold, if it will be the best day of our life, or the last day of our life. Our circumstances and the storms that might surround our lives are not nearly as important as our turning our eyes towards Him. And in that dependence, in that trust, in that tension between all powerful loving God and a broken world. We found hope. And in that hope we found our identity.
0: Can we give a warm welcome to Jane Catherine? Now, I imagine that we have some that don't know your story that are seeing this and encountering this for the first time. You are… You're part of this church family. How long have you been here as part of this, this church?
2: Yeah. Um, so, Catherine and I got married ten years ago uh, and moved to L.A. shortly thereafter on our first Sunday in L.A. We went to Bel Air Pres. And uh, I remember we got a phone call from the, the leader of Young Marrieds group at that time, you know, welcoming us. And so, we said, wow, we, we might have a place here. And we never visit anywhere else. This is the only place we've ever been. I heard there's some other good churches in LA, but this is our favorite. Uh, it's the only one we know, though. So, um, so, but yeah, we've been here for 10 years. So it's, it's, it's been an amazing uh, journey with this body of Christ.
0: Well, and obviously, in these 10 years, as you've been part of this church, you've asked that question God, why have you allowed this to happen to me? What's, what's that looked like in your life? And we're going to sit with this a moment. You, uh, you don't have to give the five-second answer, but let's… thank you for inviting us in to your journey. But, but how have yeah. you wrestled with that question?
1: Well, we, we've obviously tremendously wrestled with it. As Jay said, we came to the church 10 years ago, and then I think four years into attending the church um, is when, out of nowhere, I had a, basically a birth defect called an AVM, blow up in my brain and caused a massive brainstem stroke, and subsequently I became severely handicapped, had to relearn to do absolutely everything, including eat after almost a year on the feeding tube, and walk, and to this day my hand doesn't work, my face is paralyzed, I'm deaf in one ear, and obviously as you can see have tremendous deficits. However, all the big things were restored, and actually the most broken thing was my soul, and the Lord healed that tremendously to bring me to today. But I, um, I've been on quite a journey, and of course the question for us both has been, where was God in this? How could God let this happen to 26-year-old new parents? And what does life look like now for us? Everything has changed, kind of. And we, early on, heard from wise counsel that, and this was what I came to from from unconsciousness, that John 16.33 is true, that you will have tremendous trouble in this broken, messed up world where we live. But we could take heart because He has overcome this world. We could rest in that that the enemy is alive and well. John ten ten is clear, and he comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and he almost did. But Christ has come so that we can have life and abundantly live. And that truth sunk deep into our souls and really encouraged us. And just this horrific nightmare, and we were able to make peace to a degree, to a, to a degree, with the notion that. This fallen, broken, scary place is not home, and there is tremendous hope in the one day, the not yet. And it infused it me to be able to get up, and to persevere, and to fight back in a way. I hate that expression, but fight back. And yet, it was still very dark and very horrible. I went to a brain rehab facility where I would live for a year and a half, and in that time, I had to relearn to walk, to eat, to speak. And it was unlike anything you can imagine. It was so horrible. And there were multiple moments of extreme despair of, I don't think I can go on in this. This is, this is like a weird world on my own. You see, I'm caught. I'm not dead but I'm not alive either. I'm in this weird place in between where I'm, I can't do anything. I can't take care of my son, for instance, who's growing up without mommy. I can't eat food. I can't walk. I can't drive, fill in the blank. And yet I'm still here having to observe life. So putting into this strange place of, oh, I see God made a mistake. This wasn't what was intended for me. God left me accidentally. Clearly, I know better. God could not have meant this for me. And in those darkest moments of just terrible sadness and, and just trying to make sense of, of this nightmare, God really comforted me, and I think My lowest upon lowest thoughts were that that he could remarry if I was gone, and Jay could have a normal life with a normal wife that he didn't have to take care of, that my son James could have a normal mommy, an able-bodied mommy that could engage him, that everybody could stop all the sadness, that if I were gone, things would be better. But instead, I've been left. I've been left on this earth broken. And in those those moments of almost despair, God really spoke into that mess. And I, I'm I'm a product of church world, so is he. And thank you, Jesus, for that. Parents raise your children here; it makes a difference in their adult lives. But I knew Scripture. I knew a lot of Scripture from when I was a young girl, and I knew the truth of Psalm 139. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, that his works are wonderful, and that I was knit together in my mother's womb, which is where the AVM was, the birth defect that would rupture, within my mother's utero. I knew Romans 8, I love Romans 8, that all things work together for the good of those who love him. And then it goes on to say in 831 that I won't go into all that, but we can do everything. 837, we are more than conquerors. 839, that I'm convinced that nothing can separate us from the love of God. And, and I think that, that notion that John 11 and that you just spoke on, Drew, that Jesus gives us tears and truth so we can cling to the notion that I don't have to just endure this heinous, horrific suffering but he's with me. He's feeling it with me. He understands that this is horrible and broken, and he meets me there. And I had this deep thought that evidently wasn't my own. Many theologians, including C.S. Lewis, agree that you, you don't have a soul. You are a soul. You have a body, and your body might be broken, and maybe it will never be fully restored on earth, which I don't put it, God in a box, but likely I'm not getting full restoration before heaven. But the truth is that this broken, messed-up frame is just that. It's just an earth suit. Second Corinthians 4 talks about 16 through 18, that therefore we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, we all are. Inwardly we are being renewed day by day for our light and momentary trials are achieving for us a glory that cannot be revealed. Therefore we fix our eyes not on what is seen, okay, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And I held that truth deep in my heart, that what is temporary is this madness. What is unseen is what's to come, and I will wait for that day. And by the way, I'll wait with tremendous joy, because this is special. This right here doesn't happen to everybody. This is some tough stuff, and I'm going to steward this, because... This could easily lead to extreme bitterness, anger, frustration, sadness, the whole gamut. But instead, I'm gonna choose to see this as this amazing gift, because God must really think something of me. I'm gonna steward this. I'm gonna champion this. I'm gonna live into this reality. Thanks. And I'm almost done, sorry. and that's whatever. FYI, that's all of us. Because we all have horrible, sad things and wonderful things, and we have choices to make of what well, we use it to say, you know what, Lord? This is what I got. This is my assignment in life, and I can choose to fight it or to live into it. I'll stop talking. Sorry.
0: Wow, wow. Now, Now, there's a picture, right? This is a picture of your uh, first Mother's Day, and I think that, you know, in this moment captured uh, quite a spectrum of human emotion, the joy of a healthy child, your first Mother's Day. You're alive. Many people didn't think you'd be able to make it through that, yet there's the, the grief of experiencing that first Mother's Day, not as you had hoped. You don't even remember it. You look at this and you have no… You were unconscious in that moment. And in many ways, that picture, I think, represents us as a community even on this day, every moment, that there's the highest of highs and the lowest of lows, and God enters into that reality. And Second Corinthians 1, we talked about this, that Paul prays to a God who is a God of all compassion and comfort, and He comforts us in our time of troubles so that we can comfort others with that same comfort that God first comforted you. You've experienced that. It didn't happen overnight, but
2: Jay, can you how have you experienced that truth in your life and in your marriage? Yeah, I think Paul's words in Second Corinthians have been one of the biggest motivators of our life sort of moving forward, um, and, and yet I think before we can sort of overflow with what we've been given onto those in need, we have to re-narrate this story of suffering And I think Paul says earlier in uh, 1 Corinthians that uh, everybody ought to live into this calling that they've been given. You know, it's not an accident what God has allowed to come to pass in any of our lives. And I think there's no satisfactory answer this side of heaven for why did God allow this? I don't know. Uh, And yet, I think one day when we get face to face with Jesus, it'll all be blurred, you know, sort of like this light just will overwhelm every sadness of earth, guys, and we have to hold on to that hope. But one day, we'll see clearly. We'll see that all these things working for good, we're not just working for our good, they were working for the good of creation. We're part of a bigger story, and it's so easy in our pain to get myopic in our focus and to think that this is… This is the, the worst thing that's ever happened to anybody in, in the world, and it is because it's us. We're the ones narrating our own story. We, we don't know what to do with, with suffering and unmet expectations and pain, and yet God says, I'm going to do something more than you could ever imagine with your pain. I'm going to take this worst thing like the cross, and I'm going to turn it. I'm going to reverse it in this way only I can do it to the greatest thing. And it's stunning to think that we get to be a part of that, that our suffering is not wasted. And yet, I think we have to question as part of our purpose in this life to suffer like Christ. And that's antithetical to everything our culture would say, And you know, our culture would say if, if, if it doesn't feel right, if it's not part of your plan for your best life, then it's wrong. And you deny it or you try to fix it. And unfortunately, the church says that too in a lot of ways. And then I think all we do is look at the life of Christ to see that suffering is coming. And the question becomes, what will we do with what we've been given, what God has allowed and called us into? And for us, we, we knew um, a couple years after we were sharing just our, our, our pain and our hope that God was calling us into a more full-time formalized ministry of, of healing and hope and suffering and joy and the mix and, and sharing what He's done, and, and so we've gotten to play a part of that redemption, that story of redemption, and steward our story well. And Catherine and I are actually in ministry full-time now with our ministry, Hope Heals. And I'm a pastor's kid, so I said the one thing I'll never do is be in the ministry full-time. And I'm also paying my law school loan still, so it doesn't really make sense (laughs) to, um, to step into this calling. But each of us, in our own way, in our own sphere of influence, in our own story, God is calling us to take what He gives us. And to use it for our good and His glory. And, and Paul says, you know, you've been given hope, you've been given comfort, not so you can just feel good about yourself in this moment, but that you might be a vessel of it, that you might make manifest the hope of glory on this earth to people who need it, and that people would experience the God who loves them, who, is, who meets them in their pain, because you were willing to be a vessel of that. And, and then the releasing and then the overflowing of hope were, were refilled with it. It's a stunning cycle, and I, and I invite you into that today, whatever suffering, whatever storm you're in, to consider what is God calling me to give of myself in the midst of this.
0: And so God has used this, and now this ministry, Hope Heals, which I'm, I, I wear this often, this, this anchor. I know that that's a huge part of the, the imagery you gave this to me, and it's, it's small, and most people can't see this, because
1: but… Anchors are a big deal to the wolves. My feet won't stay on the ground firmly, but I'm forever anchored in heaven, and I'm not going anywhere. Hebrews six nineteen, we have an anchor firm and secure. So, we love anchors, and I love that you're wearing that, Drew.
0: You know, and you, you've, you've traveled the U.S., you speak regularly, this is your home church, you live locally, your family's here. Uh, towards the end of last year, I shared this story with you when... Um, my wife and I, we had a caregiver for our son a couple of days a week, and she showed up one day, and the, the license plate was new. It was one of those brand new ones from the DMV, and it said, Hope Heals. And I went up to her, I said, Rhonda, do you know Jane Catherine? She says, w-, and she had this moment. She says, I just heard Jane Catherine speak at my local church. And on the sidewalk in front of our house, she burst in tears, and she began to share that Hearing your message and what God has done in and through you completely changed her perspective of her husband's aneurysm from a few years back, that she had so much grief and so much sorrow and so much heartache, the opposite of hope, but she heard your message, and it changed her so much that it began to re-narrate even that experience, so much so that that became her new phrase, "Hope so much so that she got this license plate, and I saw her even beyond that using her story now, not your story, but her story of what God was doing in her marriage in the midst of that pain, in the midst of that suffering for others. And so here you've shared this. It's spread out into this room and those online and those that will listen afterwards, but we have no idea what that ripple effect will be if, if God allows it. You know, you look back at that first Mother's Day, one that you can't remember New Mother's Day today. How are you going to look back on this Mother's Day, 2015?
1: Right. So, so that picture was seven years ago Mother's Day, and I've had a lot of really terrible Mother's Days since then for many, many reasons, and even to this day, I cannot fully take care of my sweet seven-and-a-half-year-old son now. And if any of you follow us online, you already may know this, Um, And and we go back and forth about whether we want to say this or not, because we know there's so much pain associated with this. We were the leaders of the young marriage group for years, and frankly understand that it's complicated and sad. But please rejoice with us as we celebrate the news that James announced on January 1st of this year. I think we have a picture. He announced that I'm going to stand up and show you, I'm actually eight months pregnant right now. We didn't know if that would ever be possible. It wasn't for a long time even a possibility, but um, the Lord has brought us to that place. And I want, want to leave y'all with this picture, that here I am in a wheelchair, likely for life severely disabled, likely never do many of the things that you do each morning, each day. And yet, I'm having a baby in a couple months. And that that kind of virtual near-death and new life is really a beautiful picture of our faith. It's a picture of the gospel, broken things made new. And just that deep notion that He can make anything new, even very sad, broken stories. And I just... I love that, and I want to encourage y'all so deeply to live into whatever your assignment is in this life. It wasn't randomly selected. It was purposely chosen for you. That First Corinthians 7.17 that Jay talked about, assignment that you have been given by God, given, not cursed to deal with, but given, is is your world, your lane, stay in your lane. Steward that story. That's the beautiful story that God is writing with your life, and it's a gift to get to do it, isn't it? I mean, come on, look at our lives. No matter what broken pieces we have, they're amazing. Amen. We have so much to celebrate.
0: Well, many people… I know many people will be delighted to, to shake your hand afterwards, and, and many people don't know Jay is one of our elders here as part of this church, both in leadership, serving in tremendous ways, not only here but also as you go around uh, the U.S. speaking and sharing your message. I, I've asked you to pray for us to end our time together, uh, but before you do that, can we one last time give thanks to God for what God has done in Jay and Catherine's life?
2: Church, Um, I have to to turn that applause right back at you because we would not be here today were it not for this body of Christ, and I encourage any of you visiting, not plugged in, not connected to the body of Christ, this place is welcome for you, and it meant everything for us, and it continues to, so thank you, thank you. Lord, we uh, are grateful to stand on this stage, God, it was not a place where we ever thought we could be. God. It was not a place by the natural laws that we should be, God. Lord, but we know that you're doing a work not only in our physical bodies, Lord, but most importantly, a healing, a restoration of our souls, God. The most important, the most necessary place for healing, God, we long for it with everything, God, is to find the healing and rest in our souls. God, thank you for that in our own story and in the story of each person here today, God, that um, this is ultimately your story, God, the work of your redemption, your love over all of your creation, God. And the gospel, Lord, is that you're giving life to dead things, God. Resurrect our hearts today that we might go into this world longing for you, longing for hope, God, that we might be a people of hope and we might overflow with hope by the power of your Holy Spirit even today, Lord. And we give you all the praise and glory for it in Jesus' name, amen.